Hello, and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by American Jewish Committee. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines to help you understand what they all mean for America, Israel, and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Manya Brashear-Pashman. Watching the horrific events unfold this past weekend at Congregation Beth Israel in Colleyville, Texas, was absolutely terrifying for everyone, including the friends, neighbors, and fellow clergy of Rabbi Charlie Citrin Walker. For nearly 10 hours, Muslim, Jewish, and Christian clergy gathered with the families of the hostages inside a nearby Roman Catholic church to pray for a safe resolution to the standoff. With us now are Joel Schweitzer, director of AJC Dallas, Mohammed Elibieri, a former advisor to the Department of Homeland Security, who chairs the Dallas-Fort Worth Muslim Jewish Advisory Council, and Rabbi Andrew Paley, a Dallas police chaplain, senior rabbi at Temple Sholom in Dallas, and one of the clergy who kept vigil inside that church that day. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. My first question to all three of you is, we say things like, I never thought it could happen here. But did you? I mean, given the events in recent years in Pittsburgh and Christchurch in New Zealand, do you and members of your communities live with an underlying fear that this could happen in your synagogue or in your mosque? Rabbi Paley? It's always in the background. Let's just say it. There is this evil that is out there. There are people who are intent on doing harm, and the Jewish community is not unfamiliar with this as other communities have experienced the same. So there is a a weight that we carry in the playing out of our community's work. It just is. However, I know this is the truth with the other faith communities as well, is that in spite of that, the responsibility that we have is to continue to teach and to promote and to highlight the love and the kindness and the caring and the peace that we want to put out into the world. We're not going to be beholden to that evil. We're not going to be hiding behind fences or other things. We're going to continue to try to do that to the best that we can. And it's difficult. However, if the weight that we have to carry of this difficulty is the cost of actually doing that work of bringing peace into the world, then we'll do that. And we do that every day. Mohammed, how about you? Do your fellow congregants, do you fear that this kind of thing could happen at your mosque? The short answer is yes, because actually the first interaction between our communities was the Dallas Central Mosque and Temple Shalom, where Rabbi Paley is a senior rabbi, about 30 years ago, were spray-painted with swastikas. We've got a long history of feeling like we could be targeted. We've also had people show up in the post 9-11 era with uh, AR-15s walking in front of our mosques in Irving and elsewhere in protests, so right-wing militia types. So I've seen uh, how the Jewish community also in Europe has fortified its facilities in Germany and France and elsewhere even a decade before that. So this is a very unfortunate aspect of life, as Rabbi Paley has said that we've been living with, but I really admire the resiliency that the Jewish community has in the face of this to move on and live life. Joel, do you think the American public really comprehends the fear that grips Jewish worshipers before this incident, before Pittsburgh, the fear that we have to 
really overcome, we feel compelled to overcome, just to attend synagogue or go into a school. So many news outlets that I'm picking up today are saying, is this the new normal? And my answer is invariably, no, this is the status quo. This is the reality that Jewish and Muslim and other communities have been living under. And we've seen not just a few days ago in Colleyville, but towards the end of last year, arson at a synagogue in central Texas. We've seen a rise in anti-Semitic rhetoric. And, you know, I think before just a few days ago, only members of the Jewish community and homeland security wonks like Mohammed knew the term secure communities network. But now SCN and the fantastic work they do is all over the media. I just saw an interview a few minutes ago with the director of SCN. And so the reality is this is something we've been facing for years. We need more dollars to continue combating it more effectively and to harden our targets. AJC has consistently advocated over the years for increases to the FEMA nonprofit security grant program. It is now at the $180 million a year level, and we can see from events like this, from events like the tragedies at the Chabad in Poway and the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, that more dollars are needed. And so that's why we are advocating for $360 million a year to be allocated towards these grants. And I was pleased yesterday, I attended a a listening session that was convened by our local county commissioner, and there were county commissioners and city council members and congressmen from both sides of the aisle in that meeting wanting to hear our thoughts, our concerns, our fears. And I mentioned to the congressman that we need his leadership to make sure that we get more funding for that FEMA nonprofit security grant program. And I know that he's going to work on it. And I hope that all of his colleagues on both sides of the aisle will pick up that legislation when it's written and champion that cause too, because it is sorely needed. Joel, I'm curious, why do you believe the suspect targeted Beth Israel? You know, I've heard a lot of speculation that this wasn't about Jewish issues. And The primary motivation for the hostage taker may not have been to target Jews, but it was not a coincidence that a synagogue was chosen by the perpetrator. This could have happened at a shopping mall or at a park or at a church, but it was very intentional that it happened at a synagogue. And it might have been It might have been because he harbored anti-Semitic thoughts or had been bombarded with anti-Semitic propaganda over a period of time. I heard from one of the hostages this morning that he thought it was partly because of the systematic information coming to him that built his perception that Jews had disproportionate power and access to media and access to political connections. You might recall that he had Rabbi Citron Walker get on the on the phone with a prominent New York rabbi thinking that that could lead to the release of the prisoner that he was seeking to free. But whatever the primary motivation may have been, I don't think it's possible to completely divorce this situation from anti-Semitism because the target was indeed a synagogue. Do others agree? I agree completely. Those details, of course, are still being being unraveled right now. But that may not have been, again, as Joel said, the primary area of concern. But, you know, the location of the synagogue also, it's on this sort of off the 
Main Street kind of location. So didn't just happen to stumble on it. You have to actually go there and, you know, make your way to that place. So clearly there are multiple, if not competing, you know, intentions at play here. So I spent six years going into jails in the U.S. and disengaging or de-radicalizing some of these jihadi types that we've had in the U.S. And prior to that, about a decade working with my community and our human network to basically preempt as much or assist the FBI in a lot of investigations over the years. And what I've learned is that you have to spend time with them to really get to know what the right mix of external messaging that they received and internal drivers, psychological or in their personal life and environmental issues, led to certain decisions being made at critical junctures in their evolution towards the violent extremist attack. Rabbi Paley, I would like for you, if, if you don't mind, to take us inside the church that day where friends and neighbors, family, the rabbi's wife gathered, and give people some insight into to what was happening there within the interfaith community. The church was about a quarter of a mile or so down the street from the synagogue, and it was sort of a hub of community activity throughout the day. The media sort of set up there. And the families were sequestered there. And it was a place of great comfort in the midst of all of this. And the church leadership, the clergy staff, and, and were just so gracious in opening their doors, kind of as a fitting testimony to the relationships that Rabbi Citron Walker had developed and built um, in, in his community over, over the many years. So there, um, I, I arrived at the, the church um, late in the day. And there had been many of our colleagues and friends who had been gathering there all day, as soon as they could. Um, and there was lots of pockets of, of groups of people gathering, um, mostly just to be present. Um, of course, there, there wasn't anything that they could do um, actively. The, the authorities were handling that. But the optic of all of those people doing what they could do, which was to show up and to be there, Offering their presence and their moral support, their prayers really was powerful and effective. And so many of them had been there for seven, eight hours, nine hours or more, and were determined to stay there as long as it took to make sure that the families knew and the community at large knew that this was a thing that affected the entire community, not just this one synagogue, that those people who um, who are in relationship, as we've been talking, um, are affected by this. And the optic of all those people standing there and being there and huddled there and, and not, not leaving and not giving up was really, really powerful. And I imagine that seems so counterintuitive to how polarized our society is. And one thing I read about one of the imams wanting to go straight to the synagogue to help and there was a movement among his clergy colleagues to make sure he was safe, right? That he was not targeted or mistaken for being an accomplice. You know, the remarkable thing is that um, I guess this is just sort of human nature. You know, the discord and controversy and anger and frustration and all the yelling and frankly, all the noise 
seems to get louder play than the difficult work of being in relationship day after day after day and building meaningful, deep, positive, nurturing connections. That's what goes on between faith communities. That's the optic that I know myself and others want to demonstrate is really going on in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Yeah, there's this other stuff, but what's really happening is this positive thing where people want to do something for each other when the moment arises. And this is something that deeply affects all of us. There was no discord amongst the clergy. There were no politics at that moment. We may not always agree on all of the the finer points of policy, but it's not a policy. This is about human lives and human relationships. And I think the demonstration of the Muslim Jewish Advisory Council, Faith for Dallas, of which I'm a part of a Faith Leaders Association here in Dallas, demonstrate that what's most important is the willingness to be in relationship. And when that happens, as my teachers like to say, and I've been saying it a lot over the past two days, is that it's really very easy to pretend that you care about something or someone, but it's impossible. It just doesn't work. You can't pretend to show up right? You either do or you don't, right? That's one of those either ors. And in that moment, the faith communities understood that being in relationship and developing the care and deep, deep trust and love for each other was what was needed to be um, displayed. And they did that. And it was beautiful. It was really amazing. This is why we engage in this work every day through the Muslim Jewish Advisory Council, through our Community of Conscience Coalition, through our Jewish-Latino alliance, the work we do with the Black community, with the AAPI community, because when we get to know one another and when we advocate with each other on issues of shared concerns, when times are good, when times ain't so good, we can pick up the phone and we have that hotline. And I can be texting back and forth with my friends who are leaders in the Muslim community learn how things are being perceived in their community, learn how we can work together to support one another during a crisis and support the congregation that's being impacted. That kind of partnership and collaboration gives me hope and it gives me strength. And, you know, I said this at a dinner with some of our Muslim friends a few months ago last summer, I want to do more things in this world that give me hope. At a time when divisiveness seems to be at an all-time high, and just when you think it's peaked, it goes again. I want to do more things that give me hope. Muslim-Jewish relations, especially after what we've seen the last few days, gives me hope. Interfaith work, interreligious, intergroup work gives me hope and gives me strength. Mohammed? I would add, after agreeing to everything that's been said here, is that We've got now, like I mentioned, about 30 years of understanding security-wise, an attack on the Jewish community is an attack on our community and the Muslim community, and vice versa. This culture of an attack on one faith community is an attack on all of us, has really grown around here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. There is plenty of politics and political disagreements between our communities and our national community leaderships over a ton of issues. But that's not really what we as local neighbors of each other. I literally grew up riding my bicycle in the backyard of Temple Shalom where Rabbi Paley is. This is my neighborhood. 
These are my neighbors. And it's not a different religious group. It is literally my neighborhood. So the camaraderie that exists today exists in a lot of different facets of our local communities. And I hope that, you know, we set a good example and other cities are doing their good work too. And eventually both of our communities will get even closer together at the national level. Joel, you talked about doing more that instills hope. And I'm curious, we've talked about the fact that so many interfaith leaders showed up for this. What other glimmers of hope or takeaways do you see from this incident that happened this weekend? Now that the horror hopefully is over, where's the hope? In the outreach that we've received from all corners of the world, from all walks of life, from all different faiths and ethnicities, from a very organic desire to reach out even during a pandemic, because even though many of us keep saying during the pandemic as if it's over, but we're still grappling with it and everyone's got their own comfort level. My hope is this year, Ramadan falls partially during Pesach. We do each year an interfaith iftar, the Muslim Jewish Advisory Council sponsors. My hope is this year that it will be in person and that it will be during Kol Homoed Pesach so that we can not only break the Ramadan fast together as a community, but break it with a kosher for Passover meal and learn about both of our holidays because when we get to learn more about each other, we become more friendly with each other and we develop those bonds that pay off when needed, when tough situations arise. It's so much easier to reach out your hand to someone who you know and who you are a friend with than someone that you've not had previous interactions with. So that's my hope. Well, speaking of hope, the private chat on this Zoom, Muhammad wrote, I love you, Rabbi Paley, and he wrote, love you back, brother. So I don't know if it gets more hopeful than that. (laughs) My eyes teared up a little bit. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me, joining us, and shedding some light on what happened this weekend. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to be part of the conversation and in some small way, part of the solution. We will recover. We are fairly resilient here in the Dallas-Fort Worth region, and we'll get stronger. And hopefully we won't see any more trials like this in the future. After the Tree of Life situation, a lot of people in my community went to reciprocate support to the Jewish community here at a number of synagogues because the Jewish community had also come after the Christchurch shooting also to visit several mosques and provide support. And we're going to continue supporting each other here locally as neighbors. Manya, thank you so much for having us this morning and for helping to amplify these important messages. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. Our producers are Kukong Do and Atara Lakritz. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or learn more at ajc.org slash peopleofthepod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at ajc.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to tell your friends, tag us on social media with hashtag peopleofthepod, And hop on to Apple Podcasts to rate us and write a review to help more listeners find us. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod. 